Thought Creators, the podcast for financial experts brought to you by FAB. Welcome to Thought Creators, the show that takes a look at the issues impacting the world of finance and we take a look through a very human lens. Brought to you by one of the leading banks in the region, First Abu Dhabi Bank. Now, my guest today is a man whose wisdom is very much in demand, as in 2023, we look to see if our savings, if we have any, or indeed our investments can work harder for us. Uh, My guest, of course, is Elaine Marcus, who is the head of asset allocation for First Abu Dhabi Bank. Elaine, you're the man that we all look to to provide us guidance in these turbulent times. So no pressure there. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Nice to be here. Um, at the top of the show, we always like to talk about sort of the headlines that are catching our eye. And of course, we're at the beginning of 2023. So if we look at 2022, I think possibly one of the biggest words that leaps out to me is ouch. Um, nearly 30 trillion off global stocks and bonds. Um, I think Forbes are reporting that cryptocurrency lost about $2.1 trillion as well in 2022. Amid all of this volatility. I mean, I know sometimes when we say where there's ouch, there's opportunity. There's the old phrase of time in the market versus timing in the market. Where are we at? I mean, is this is, is this a time for people who are already investors to hold? Uh, or is it a time for people who are not necessarily investing yet to enter the market? Where are we at? Yeah, it's, it's tricky, uh, even for the experts. <laughs> um, we've had... Uh, a very unusual period, obviously, with COVID in 2020, a huge, strong recovery with very cheap money, quantitative easing yeah. by the central banks. Yeah. And then again, we've reversed course within the space of 12 months again. So it's, it's been a very seesaw market um, with, with the volatility that's ensued. But ultimately, as we've always said uh, in many years, saving for the long term is always the best way forward. And ideally, on a dollar cost averaging basis, so every time you invest on a monthly basis, that evens out and irons out some of the volatility that we may see in the markets. But I think long term, we're in quite a good place. It's been very, very difficult for people who've invested in technology in Mm -hmm. the area that we call growth stocks. And and essentially, growth stocks don't give you a yield or a dividend payment as such. So if interest rates are going up in, in the rapid fashion that we've seen, then suddenly cash looks more attractive and investments that give you a fixed return. Yeah are more preferred. So we've also seen that in the emerging markets, where the emerging markets are very heavily reliant on exports to the Western world, uh, China, of course, and some of those assets have been higher yielding, but obviously less attractive if interest rates uh, are also going up. So, so we've seen what's termed as a bifurcation in the market, where those assets have come down quite dramatically. Um, you referenced the 30 trillion. Yeah. But also assets that have been unloved for some time uh, what, what we call value stocks, uh, some of those have, have come back quite strongly. And we're beginning to see some some green shoots of recovery in assets that, that were perhaps overlooked in, in the last economic cycle. But obviously, overall, everyone's worried about a slowdown with the recession yeah, yeah. That, that's going to ensue with these higher interest rates. But we think it will be a shallow one, as opposed to a more worrisome, deep, protracted one that everyone was concerned about back in 2020 when COVID hit. I'll circle back to that in a little while, if I may. But I just want to pick up on one of the things you said there as well, which is fascinating to me. Um, you talked about challenging year for tech. I mean, if we look at all of the big names that have often been in people's portfolios, Apple and Microsoft, you know, very, very strong, down 30%. I think 
if we look at Meta, down 64%. You've got Google's Alphabet struggling. We've got Chipmaker NVIDIA struggling. And who knew a Chipmaker would be struggling? Um, I'm obviously saying things like, is the the era of big tech over? is probably a little bit naive. But are we entering into a period where we've, as, as investors, got to be a little bit more active when we look at what's happening in the world of technology? Because it used to be a given. Are oh, we need those in the portfolio? Are they still a given in the portfolio? Yeah. What's your view on what's happening in the world of tech? Because things are changing. Well, diversification is always key. And I, and I think that the level or amount of a particular asset class you have has to be looked at very closely. With technology, a lot of these are new, brand new industries, perhaps revolutionary in some ways. So the projected cash flow of how they will eventually make money needs to be adjusted. And in many cases, 10 or 15 years is is not atypical, I should say, mm-hmm. uh, for, for um, technology as a whole. Perhaps now, if there is a recession coming, that brings the timeline even further out. And maybe the valuations uh, that, that were perhaps leveled at some of these companies, you mentioned Amazon, for example, uh, were looking a little bit rich. But if you look at over the long term, technology still does very, very well. And if if some of us remember um, back in the technology boom of, of 2000, we saw... The well, me and you do. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm old enough to remember when, when the technology market crashed in 2001 and 2002. But a lot of those companies recovered very strongly in the years that followed. Yeah, I think it was so, it Barron's had a cover back in the day saying that Amazon was over, basically, yeah. and the dot-com era was gone. Um, so you think it's going to come back, but I guess my question as well is, you know, these assumptions, and we saw, and I know it's a slightly different thing, we look at FTX world, you know, we saw what's yeah. been happening in cryptocurrency land with massive valuations, with very little due diligence. Do we think we're getting to a period where, Perhaps we as investors need to start doing that more due diligence. As you say, look at the valuations and go, yeah, okay, what is that actually based on? Absolutely. Um, but even even with cryptocurrencies, not, not that we take a specific view mm-hmm. on, on that sector of the market, it's in very similar fashion to technology. It's, it's going to be based on what will be. And innovation is always going to lead the market. We've had so many changes in the market through the online revolution, mm-hmm. through technology and, and, and the internet. And ultimately that will come through. Um, a lot of businesses or traditional businesses are having to change as a result. And it's those valuations that perhaps got a little bit stretched in terms of how much cash flow these companies will eventually generate. But long term, these are all very solid companies if you take the large cap technology names in particular. Would you give me your, like, imagine, a good friend of mine once said, imagine you're talking to a four-year-old, but give me your simple sort of definition of equity in equity markets to start with, which is kind of where the, the, the headlines, where we started with the headlines in the 30 trillion, um, and what you see happening in those markets this year. You know, particularly we hear the sage of Omaha used to talk about be, you know, be fearful when everyone's greedy and be greedy when everyone's fearful. So your helicopter definition of what the equity and equity markets are, and then what you think will happen this year so so effectively investing in equities is investing in a company mm. and uh, being in it, being a business owner yourself it's uh, it's something that the, yeah. the, the lay person may need to look at very closely so if you're buying Amazon and using using that example again you're effectively investing in Amazon the company and its fortunes uh, which is a little bit different to the bond market where you're actually investing in lending the company money and, and getting a fixed rate return and then getting your money back at the maturity level. Um, 
listed equities are equities that are listed on the stock market. And then you have private equities where uh, people have not opened up yet to the market as, as such, but are allowing key investors to come in and really take a view in very similar fashion to, to higher risk technology, for example. And then they eventually list on the market when it becomes more mainstream. But the returns you get from, from equity investing in the longer term tend to outstrip and, and outperform, I should say, um, a lot of other asset classes where you're getting a fixed return based on that lending, such as the bond market. Well, that's an interesting question. Again, if we come back to the time in the market versus timing in the market, there does seem to be this real appetite. Um, and I think it's probably all, it, I mean, it's always been there. It's human nature is this whole idea about, you know, everybody wants to get rich quick. That's possibly some of the lure around cryptocurrency. Whereas um, the stock market, how important is it to take a long-term view and actually for investors to take a step back and go, okay, if I'm going to do this, then I'm not going to get rich tomorrow. You know, um, because right now as well, I think more than ever before, we've got all these different apps that alert you. It's almost like, you know, um, gaming machines you know you get all these alerts all the time going stocks up stocks down stocks up stocks down how important is it for people to be patient and long term well that's the beauty of investing now and you've got so many avenues to, to invest you've got so much information so so whether you're somebody that's more passive and perhaps not in tune with what the market's doing and, and you're more focused on on where your pension might be say mm -hmm. in retirement or whether you're an active trader and and the get rich quick idea of, of really looking at things, I think you need to balance your risk versus return. Everybody should have in their mind that if I were to invest at a certain level, there is this potential loss that I could take yeah. alongside, obviously, the profits that you can make as well. Um, generally speaking, if you're going to trade more short term with, with the volatility, it's much riskier. And ultimately, you'll be stuck in a position if, if you are not able to exit that position for whatever reason, either because the market's gone down or even in some cases, the liquidity is not there and you're having to hold it until the market comes back. But for most people, I think a slow, steady return over a number of years that outstrips inflation is ultimately how investing should be looked at. And for those people who want a retirement and, and maybe a nest egg, say, mm. that then it makes sense to invest over time rather than taking these more short-term views. Do you think investors are doing more due diligence these days? I mean, we've got, and I really, it'd be interested to hear what you have to, what your experience has been. Um, have we seen a big rise in retail investors? Are individuals becoming more savvy? Um, and within that, are they doing more due diligence? Are they asking more questions? Or do they need to ask more questions? Well, well, in the old days, and we're talking about 20 or 30 years ago, you, you had to have... They're not a, the old well, days, they're very recent. They're, they're recent to us, I think. Uh, but um, we, we saw a certain type of investor only really having access to the market, and you needed a minimum amount of capital. So a lot of the mainstream investors were either not allowed or couldn't get access to the market. That's dramatically changed, and I, I would say technology has brought in the dem democratization is that the word I should be democratization <laughs> democratization don't worry that's about the first time I've ever got that word right first time <laughs> so that's that's something that I think has dramatically changed and, and you don't need tens of thousands of dollars ju just to enter the market you, you can come in the market now with just a few hundred pounds or dollars I should say so if we're doing our homework, we've talked very briefly there about equity and equity markets essentially stock markets um, that we would 
recognize around the world. Um, let's talk about then bonds. You mentioned bonds earlier, private equity. You talked about private equity, but you mentioned bonds earlier and, and, and the money market. Let's start with bonds. Um, again, you, you, your quick definition of bonds, but also what's happening, because that, that feels like it's going to be a really interesting year for bonds this year. So in terms of the definition of a bond, you're effectively lending a corporation or a government for that matter um, capital that, that you own that uh, is paid back at a fixed amount of interest rate or profit rate if, if you're an Islamic investor to the maturity of the bond. In other words, you may lend the company or government money for five years. They issue you with a five-year bond, an IOU effectively. Mm -hmm. um, and during those five years, they, they promise or offer to pay a certain amount of interest or, or profit rate per annum. And at the end of the five years, you get your money back. Um, that doesn't sound too exciting when you compare it to an equity investor, but for an investor that seeks preservation of capital and an inflation um, hedge almost, uh, it's it's worth investing in if that return is, is abo above, over and above the average rate of inflation. Um, and a lot of investors will go down that route for those that don't want to take too much risk in the market. With equities, obviously, you have capital at risk, and by that we mean you may not get back everything that you put into the market yeah. should the company's fortunes change. But generally speaking, good quality companies will tend to pay back their bonds first um, before they give any distribution to, to equity holders. So, so within the ranking, um, uh, industrial creditors will get paid first, uh, the banks that lend to those companies, then the bondholders, and then the equity investors right. in okay. order of priority. So. Bonds have been somewhat out of fashion for a, for a few years now. Um, why, in a short word? Well, I think over the last few years, we, we've seen the, the technology market and, and growth stocks do phenomenally well. And, and it goes back to, to some of the names you've mentioned, um, outperforming the, the average return. And it's been a great ride for, for those investors who've, who've been in there. Coupled with that, we've seen the interest rate uh, picture change quite dramatically yeah. with a zero interest rate policy around the world turn into something a lot more aggressive. And we're seeing perhaps the Federal Reserve raising rates to as much as five or five and a quarter percent um, by spring of this year. Obviously, if interest rates are rising for putting money in cash deposits, then some people are asking, well, then why do you need to buy bonds? And conversely, if you're getting a fixed rate paid on each bond, but cash interest rates are rising steadily, then slowly the appeal of that income goes lower. Uh, and it makes more sense to put your money in cash. At the point where interest rates have peaked, the prices of the bonds are probably at their lowest. And at that point in the so-called central bank pivot, in other words, the central bank changing its mind and perhaps going the other way and cutting rates eventually, then the bond market will look attractive. But so like all markets, I was going to say, whether it's the equity market or the bond market, the market tends to price this in ahead of time. So, yeah. so there is a second guess going on that perhaps the US Federal Reserve or the Central Bank of America is is reaching almost its peak point, which may be spring this year again. So spring seems to be a key calendar date. So if people are looking for bonds, should they be going early or should they be holding fire and waiting? It sounds like the first quarter is where they should be looking to actually enter if they're going to be looking for bonds. What, where do you come down on that bonds versus cash argument? So right now, um, everybody's concerned about the, the whole world slowing down in, in what we're calling a, a recessionary phase. Mm -hmm. When you have a recessionary phase take place, wh whether it's in the US or whether it's elsewhere in the world, 
you, you get a very unusual moment in the bond market, and, and that is shorter-term maturities, say in two-year bonds or, or three-year bonds, yeah. are yielding a higher rate than longer-term bonds, which, which sounds a bit odd, because over time, if you invest in a product or an instrument that has a longer-term date to maturity, investors would expect a higher rate of return for, for taking that risk. Yeah. But short-term bonds um, offering a higher yield to longer-term bonds is a signal that the market's worried about things being a bit difficult going forward. So, so investors demand a higher rate of return uh, for shorter-term instruments in what they called a bond market inversion. Now, when that, the recession takes place and then things turn around and they get a little bit better, we get back to longer-term distributions. The long-term, short-term, yeah. yeah, flips back on your head. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, I could understand, like, if we're looking at government bonds, if you're offering me a UE government bond right now, I could think that's fairly stable because we know just how well the UE's been performing. I'm from the UK and I look at the headlines. If you're offering me a two-year bond in the UK, I'm like, hmm. Yeah, I wanted a little bit more for that. Um, it, I, we said we'd circle back to it. I suppose this feels like a good time as well. Um, you know, we, we've used the word recession a, a few times there. You say um, you think it's going to be a shallow recession. How's that going to play out around the world? I mean, your CEO was talking in, uh, just a few months ago, basically predicting that this part of the world would have a shallower uh, recession or would certainly fear, uh, fare much better than other parts of the world. So I'm imagining you subscribe to a similar view, but when we look around the world, where's going to struggle and is indeed this, you know, this region the place to be? Uh, well, typically in, in a recession, and I'm thinking of the United States again, mm -hmm. you, you see contractions of anywhere between 3 4 or 5%. By shallow in the US, we're expecting a contraction of around 1.6%. Okay. It's just that um, and a definition of a recession is, is negative quarter, quarterly growth back-to-back. -back. So, yeah. so we're talking about six months. Uh, we do see six months, possibly at worst, a nine-month um, contraction or, or very anemic growth if it's positive. Uh, resulting in that negative 1.6%, which is not bad yeah, yeah, when yeah. viewed historically. I think when it comes to the UAE and the GCC in particular, given given the price of oil, which has been quite strong compared to historical levels over yeah. the last three or five years, we think there's gonna actually going to be growth here. Um, and the UAE should avoid a recession in, in the way that we're perhaps going to see in European and American economies. Europe's also a little bit tricky in terms of how sharp a recession could be over there. And we're beginning to see, for example, in the UK, it's gonna take all of all of 2023 to, to, to ring out really the recession that's taking place there. I mean, I also kind of wanted to talk about, we when we look at the UK, I'm an expat, um, the money markets and the currency markets. Um, I think, many of us who hail from the UK saw the dip with the pound versus the dollar, um, particularly when Liz Trust was having her very brief moment in the sun. And a lot of us threw money back to the UK just to take advantage of that exchange rate. What's the volatility in the money markets going to be like this year? Is that going to be something that people should be pay paying attention to? Are there opportunities there for people? Uh, well, I think that was a unique situation. Um, the, the mini budget, which which you're referring to, um, with Kwasi Kwarteng and and Liz Trust, was I think a step taken by by the British government at the time to try and boost growth, but with unfunded um, quantitative easing, effectively. Which, which unique is a was. polite word. <laughs> well, we we called it um, somewhat of a gamble. 
Okay. Um, if you're going to spend what you don't have, you're effectively taking a big risk. And I think the markets didn't like that too much. That being said, if you're offering tax breaks and, and you're willing to put more money in the economy, it's inflationary. And the UK inflation rate at that particular time and was for big. the three months was, was one of the highest in the yeah. world for the G7 economies. Um, I think overall, in terms of the volatility, a lot of that volatility has come as a result of interest rate hikes. Um, a lot of people ask, why is the US so significant? But the reason being that we, we've had a lot of commodities and, and most things traded around the world are de denominated in US dollars. Yeah. So, so there are dollar exposures everywhere. Yeah. And if it's happening in the United States, then it's going to reverberate across the rest of the world, which is why we've got that volatility. You are reminding me of the very good cartoon I saw in the Times where the UK boy goes to his dad and asks for his pocket money and says, can I have that in dollars, please? Yes. But I'm glad then. you said that and not Garfield. <laughs> <laughs> um, one question I, I guess everybody would be interested to know the answer to. Uh, what is a good What constitutes a good rate of return right now? Uh, you know, is is it five percent? Is five percent the new ten percent? Is it ten percent? Because often we have, you know, the, the riskier that we go, obviously it's a higher rate. If someone's offering you no risk at ten percent, they're probably are they? Uh, you know, should you be looking at taking a very close look? What's a good return these days? So one needs to look at the cycle that central banks are in. Mm. And central banks obviously set the policy for interest rates. Uh, for many years now, post the financial crisis of 2008, interest rates have been at or near 0%. So that's something that we call the risk-free rate. And generally speaking, other instruments, whether it's the bond market, whether it's the stock market, whether it's private equity, needs to entice investors at a margin X above the risk-free rate. So for bond markets, it was generally around 4%. So that's 4% above the risk-free rate. Mm -hmm. And for equities, it was closer to 5% given the risk return. Um, if interest rates are now at 5%, then by definition, equities should be around 6 or 7%. Okay. And the bond market, very, very similar. So, so the risk-free rate has moved up quite considerably. And as, as you've said, investors will demand a more of a higher rate in, in order to take that risk because yeah. equities are obviously riskier than bonds that are riskier than putting your money in deposits. So, I mean, that segues really quite nicely into the next question as well because if we look at asset allocation, if we look at what's in our portfolio, what should our portfolio look like? I mean, there will be people who are coming out of 2022 that just went all in on cryptocurrency. That was their portfolio. They were dreaming about getting rich quick and many of them are now at the end of 2022 crying. You talked about diversification before. What does a good portfolio to you look like? Well, it, well, it depend, depends on the investor. Um, the, the investor that you're talking about that wants to get rich quick mm. or be, be a person who gets rich quick um, is a very specific type of individual. And most investors are not like that. Mm -hmm. Most investors will have a degree of tolerance. And we have the conservative type that perhaps will look at deposits first and foremost, maybe a little bit of exposure to the bond market, for, but very little exposure mm -hmm. to the stock market, let alone cryptocurrencies. You've got the moderate type investor that will perhaps focus more on the bond market and have a little bit more exposure to, to equities and almost a 50-50 balance but the equity component will be large companies only and then you have um, the the risk 
the the aggressive investor investor that takes more risk um, that perhaps will look at cryptocurrencies will have a greater exposure to equities than they will the bond market and we would generally look at a person's profile to see what suits them mm -hmm. um, based on their investment needs so if you are somebody who's on the aggressive end you're going to have more of an equity or even private equity exposure on the conservative side it's going to be more cash or cash plus themes as we call them which is um, a very conservative bond market strategy and for the moderate you're talking 50 50 bonds and equities where do commodities fit within all of that for you as well so commodities tend to be a diversifier that they're un uncorrelated to capital markets as a whole and capital yeah. markets by by which we mean equities and bonds uh, but again certain commodities may not suit a certain profile given the nature of their liquidity and they are very specialized markets for some investors and it would be more than moderate to aggressive profile that would maybe take a look at that as a hedge. What, what would your outlook be for commodities? I, I, and the only reason why I ask is because we know that one commodity, gold, is actually very popular with a, a, a significant section of the demographic out here in, in this region, particularly yeah. here in the UAE. So what would your outlook be for commodities moving forward uh, for 2023? Any predictions or any advice? So each, each one has its own dynamics. Yeah. Uh, gold effectively, historically, has been a hedge to inflation and, and people looking to protect against inflation will buy gold. Well, why is that? Is because gold, a non-interest bearing asset, still has a tangible value. And if everything else around the world is falling because of inflation, the real cost of your asset goes down in value. Mm -hmm. Gold being a precious metal has this tangible value and people will buy gold to hedge against inflation. The other thing interesting about gold that we've seen is that it's directly inversely correlated to the US dollar. So as US rates have racked up quite considerably last year, that's had a very negative effect on gold. And conversely, when, when rates are aggressively cut, gold tends to do very well, as we saw in the last economic cycle. I guess the other question on lots of people's lips right now would be, where do you see real estate as an asset class? Because obviously right now the market's never been hotter. You know, is it a time for people still to enter that? Do you still think there's growth there? What's your view as that as an asset class, in, particularly in this part of the world? Well, e even in real estate, it, it can be segmented into sub-asset classes. So, so for the average investor who perhaps is looking to buy his first home, mm -hmm or someone perhaps she's, she's looking to buy a second home, uh, it is very interest rate sensitive. And at the end of the day, it behaves like the bond market. I mean, real estate or residential real estate is almost like bonds with roofs on them. <laughs> You've got um, effectively yeah. an interest rate variable versus the rental yield that, that you might pick up and rents are generally fixed for a particular year. So if interest rates go up substantially, then the yield you get on your on your um, buy-to-let, for example, uh, return on, on residential yeah. real estate is, is not as attractive in the same way that the bond market perhaps is not attractive. On the other side of the coin, on the sub-asset class side, you've got commercial real estate. Commercial real estate tends to attract a more specific investor. Um, you've got longer-term leases available, and, and that's attractive to more the corporate investor rather than the single individual. Um, so that can also be a good diversifier Obviously, liquidity is, is an issue with, with real estate. It's not like the stock market where you can buy and sell on, mm -hmm. on a daily basis. And sometimes an investor may have to hold for, for a longer period of time when markets are slower, given the illiquid nature of real estate. What's the biggest 
mistake you see people, I mean, obviously you have lots of investors coming to you and you'll also be a lot of dinner parties, I imagine, with lots of people asking. <laughs> I like the way you roll your eyes there. Yes. <laughs> <a> few. Yes. <laughs> um, what is the biggest mistake or the biggest piece of advice perhaps? But yeah, the biggest mistake you see people making when they're approaching you know, investments. Well, I think you touched upon it earlier that there's two major mistakes investors make. Are either getting caught up with a trend and only focusing on that specific asset class, or the other mistake people make is to believe something's going to continue forever, mm-hmm. and they've perhaps gone in at the wrong time, and they're not that af- they're afraid of of exiting something when we could be seeing a long term change in trend. Um, really, you have to look at the profile of the investor and see what's what's right for them to be invested in and put in the appropriate investments that make sense to that particular investment thesis. So when you, Marcus, look ahead to 2023, what's what's exciting you? What do you think is a real opportunity coming down the, the tracks? Well, what we've said in the GIO uh, recently is that we think the first quarter of this year will be more of the same of last year. It, it'll, it will be difficult to navigate. It will still have volatility. And we really need to see the trigger of central banks saying enough is enough and, and rates have been raised. Um, it looks like that they're trying to make life difficult for everybody. But as we all know, if inflation gets a hold within the economy, it can actually cause longer term damage mm-hmm. uh, to all of our assets and, and all of our ideals of investing in, and making money. Uh, so that medicine, and it's very, very difficult medicine to take, n- needed to be applied. I think we're approaching the end, and ultimately that will see a turnaround in the market, which will create, as we've said in the GIO, a lot of opportunities uh, for the growth side of the equation, and technology will come back, we think, um, as well as the bond market, which has also had a very difficult time, despite being less volatile normally than than the stock market. Um, But we see the volatility subsiding as as interest rates become more stable. So your prediction for investment particularly here within the UEE. I mean, it's an interesting one because we have lots of technology, as you say, are um, allowing younger investors to come into the market. Um, We've seen, or or it feels like we've seen a a rise in retail investors, you know, individual investors. Um, On the flip side of that, we've seen things like the 10-year golden visa. We've now got the five-year golden visa. We've got unemployment insurance coming in. So, there's perhaps more stability for people, that, particularly expats, than there ever has been. So, what do you think that what, what do you think that's going to mean for investors this year? Do you see a rise in the in that class of investor, that retail investor, that younger investor that, that's being tempted by technology to to enter the market and start trading? Well, I think in recent years it's been very difficult to justify why you would put all of your money into the bank. And and the banks were not paying very high interest rates. So I think a lot of people were pushed to see what what else they could get for their money. And Mm -hmm. perhaps for the more novice investor, it's been a more difficult journey. Hence the very important uh, aspect of information being provided on a lot of these apps. Um, I believe nowadays people are a lot more informed. They're better informed, I should say, that there is an understanding of perhaps what drives the market, but financial experts like ourselves still need to help people navigate in terms of the direction to go and really to offer that advice. But it always goes back to what your profile is and ultimately what you need to achieve in life. For for somebody who's in their 50s or 60s, 
the strategy should be more short term, <laughs> more short term and, and sort of less, less risky. But if you're in your 20s and 30s, you can afford to take that little bit more risk um, if you take a much more longer term view. And we've seen companies with very, very low valuations and a couple of decades later, particularly in the growth sector of the equation, that there are multiples of what they were in their founding years. So final thoughts for 2023 ahead. Anything else that's in that GRU? What have I not teased out of you yet? What, 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 what's the question I haven't asked you that actually our audience needs to know about when you look ahead to 2023? Get into the nitty gritty of where to invest. <laughs> and come and see you. Well, a, a lot of people have been asking us, uh, what, what is the situation with China? We've had, of mm. course, uh, the end to zero COVID. We, we think that's a game changer because it brings to an end three years of, of a total lockdown. I think a lot of people around the world don't appreciate how rigid a policy that was for the Chinese. And, and to open yeah. that up and, and completely reverse course, which is what they've done, I think is really in the name of boosting the local economy. I think they're aware that the international economy is going to really meet some speed bumps with, with these recessionary factors. At the same time, I think it is also the trigger to perhaps look at emerging markets again that have also had a terrible time alongside technology and growth. And I think as the months go by going into the second and third quarter, uh, as we've said in the GIO and, and alluded to the fact that the markets will pick up in those areas, um, as has the bond market going forward. So are you a bull or a bear when you look at 2023? So short term, short term bear. Um, the, the, the first quarter obviously is going to be difficult to navigate. But I think as we get to the second quarter, and beyond, things will turn around. And with every cycle that follows a recession, it does present a brand new bull cycle. Is it going to be five years or 10 years, as we saw last time? Remains to be seen. And we had a fantastic run from 2008 all the way to 2019, almost 11 years um, of a bull market. Previous cycles have not been as long, but five to seven years is quite typical, um, as we've said in the GIO. So stay tuned, a bit of optimism as the year progresses. Steady as she goes, as in, she invest does. regularly, don't take too much risk in one asset class. Are you literally going to say keep basket. calm and carry on? Keep <laughs> calm and carry on and, and, and sort of drip feed if you can. I mean, there are a lot of investors who invest into mutual funds and yeah. some of our fab asset management funds. It, it's a gradual process and you get stable, steady returns in the long run. Final thought then, because um, you say you know, drip feed, steady as she goes. Is now, if you're not investing, is it the time to start investing? It's a great time for those people that uh, perhaps felt they'd missed the boat when some of these companies were up 100, 200% from, from the previous cycle. Uh, things look a lot more sensible in terms of valuations around the world. I think a lot of the froth uh, that was in the market, thanks to all of this cheap money, is now slowly wrung out of the equation. Um, and it is a good time to start doing your homework, contacting your financial advisor and really getting some ideas. It's been brilliant to have you on the show today. Lots of advice there and you didn't pay for it, so you're lucky. Um, please hit the subscribe button, whether that be on YouTube or on the podcast platform of choice that you're listening to us on. And once again, thank you for being here on Thought Creators today. Great to be here. Thanks a lot. Thought Creators, the podcast for financial experts brought to you by FAB. Thank you.